are entering the Freedom Hut. Some fiery testimony from Democrats on Capitol Hill about the crisis at the border, which they're saying is our fault, of course. Also, the Secretary of Labor, Alex Acosta, has stepped down. We'll talk about why and whether this was the right move. We've got that and much more coming up on this Freestyle Friday of the Buck Sexton Show. Buck Sexton. Permission. Decoding the news and disseminating information with actionable intelligence. One small thing. Make no mistake. America. Ready. Great. You're a great American. Again. This is the Buck Sexton Show. Activate. Former CIA analyst. Former member of the NYPD. You think I can speak for three hours without a phone call? Try doing that sometime. It is Buck Sexton. Now. This is a manufactured crisis because cruelty, because the cruelty is manufactured. This is a manufactured crisis because there is no need for us to do this. There's no need for us to overcrowd and to detain and under-resource. There is no need for us to arrest innocent people and treat them no differently than criminals when they are pursuing their basic human rights. Welcome to the Buck Sexton Show. The efforts of the Democrats to make the crisis at the southern border that they denied until what feels like about five minutes ago, that they lied about for months and months. There's no crisis, no problem. Oh, it's just the asylum process playing out. Why are you so mean, Republicans? That's been the storyline. Now they can't ignore the numbers. Now the facilities are overwhelmed, overflowing. Now it is clear uh, that the systematic violation of our immigration laws is underway and that Democrats have no interest in enforcement at any stage of this process anymore. They want to make it not a crime to cross illegally. illegally. They want to make it not a crime to lie in order to gain the asylum system. They want to make it not a crime to stay even if you don't get asylum after your hearing. At no point, at no point in this process do they give us anything that indicates they really want to do what they have been saying for years they want to do, which is to secure the border. Ocasio-Cortez has become the spokesperson for this narrative on the left. She's become the most prominent of the Democrats to stand for to stand in front of us and browbeat us, the American people, because we're not doing enough. For the people that have heard, hey, here's the deal. Pay a trafficker to take you to the border with a kid. Say you're fleeing violence, even though you're not. And you'll be led into the United States and then just don't show up for your hearing because they won't. And you're in America. You're home free. You're good to go. And we're not doing enough for those people. You see, that's what that's what Ocasio-Cortez is saying. And, And it's our fault. We didn't ask these people to show up. We didn't we didn't put out some call to, hey, if you're from Central America, please flood the U.S.-Mexico border at, our, at, at various sectors. No, they're choosing to do this. They're choosing to exploit loopholes in our system. And we're the bad people. We're the bad guys. She also said that there's nothing criminal about what they've done. That's that's not true. Stepping onto U.S. soil across the border, not at a point of entry, is a violation of criminal law. It's a crime because it is a serious enough offense against the United States government and its sovereignty that it has to be more than just a parking ticket. 
They are breaking the law when they do that. And you could say, oh, but that seems so harsh. All right, well, if someone wants to go and just walk through your front lawn every day, they're not hurting you, right? They're not, they're not doing anything bad to you. They're just going to walk across your lawn every morning. Why is that a problem? It's just a foot on grass, right? It's just foot, foot, foot grass walking past you. They want to do it every day. That's not trespassing. That's just taking a shortcut. Oh, you mean that if we're going to live in a society with rules and laws, we have to enforce those laws? We can't just have them and say, well, we're not going to take any of that seriously. Why is it just uh, why is it just the case that immigration law gets pushed to the side? Why do we not enforce laws about lying? Because we know that people come to the border and they and they say that they're fleeing gang violence. And then when they get into further detail, turns out that, no, they're not fleeing gang violence. They're actually economic migrants. They just forgot to stay on message. If you lie to a federal law enforcement officer, you're going to go to prison. If you're an illegal alien, you lie. You're just a person fleeing a desperate circumstance. I mean, Central America is not in the midst of a massive famine or an ethnic cleansing or repressive political violence that's that's killing thousands and thousands of people that that's not happening right now. So what is the asylum claim really all about? They're getting ahead of people, by the way, who are claiming from other countries refugee status and have to go through a process in this country who are trying to who are fleeing persecution about. So they're skipping them in the line and they're skipping millions of people that have been waiting for years and paid thousands, perhaps tens of thousands of dollars to come to the country illegally. They're, they're all violating this process. Democrats have no problem with this whatsoever. They see they see no downside about this. They are now the pro-illegal immigration party, as they say, pro-undocumented. They won't even say illegal immigrant. It's too offensive, you see, to refer to these individuals by the legal designation of their conduct is somehow morally offensive to Democrats. No, you're not you're not a tax cheat. You're just a delayed government funder. We'll get the money from you at some point, but we just can't call you a tax cheat if you just refuse to ever pay your taxes. Right. Delayed government funder. That sounds like fun to me. AOC, though, saw this as an opportunity to grandstand her favorite thing, get attention for herself. I mean, she does strike me as as quite, quite uh, self-obsessed and bratty. And I'm not the only one. I think Nancy Pelosi would probably agree with me these days. She said it's a manufactured crisis, not manufactured by us. What does she want Border Patrol to do? We didn't know that a million people over the course of this year were going to show up and say that they have to claim asylum when they don't need asylum and they don't meet the asylum requirements. We did not know that. So it's our fault that we don't have the facilities in place? I mean, if, if, if 10 people show up at your house for dinner and you weren't expecting them and you don't have enough food to make them all feel like they were really getting a great meal, is that your fault? Because that's what this whole asylum process, folks, is based on the good heartedness of the American people. This is us as a political community saying, you know what, we are going to take in some people that, you know, we we need to be a a beacon of light to the world and we need to be a, a refuge for people that are fleeing oppression. But in limited numbers and people have to do it legally. But because of that, because the charity of the American people, because that's what this is, the charity is not indulgent enough for the likes of AOC. 
we're bad people now. It's our fault. It's always our fault. People send their children to through uh, coyotes trafficking. God knows what's happening to these kids on the way. They show up unaccompanied. They show up alone to the border. It's our fault. It's all our fault. What about the Honduran government? What about the government of El Salvador? What about the Mexican government? Does anyone else ever get to say, you know, maybe we could get things together a little bit more here and be a little less dysfunctional as a country? Oh, no, that, that's you can't say that. It's always America's fault. I mean, AOC here doesn't mind at all demonizing Border Patrol, which is what she's doing. Reminds me of what happened when it was convenient, when it was politically convenient under the Obama administration. There were plenty of Democrats and public officials who would go forward and throw our cops, local law enforcement, under the bus. They're racist. They're systemic racism. Young black men need to be afraid of cops. These were all things that were being said. I was at the rallies covering them. I saw what was, I heard myself what was being said. Pigs in a blanket, fry them like bacon. Those were chants at rallies, right? When the left decides that it's good to rabble rouse and mobilize for the cause, they'll say horrible things about cops, terrible things about law enforcement. Now, they're saying that about those who are involved in law enforcement at our border, namely, Customs and Border Patrol and Immigrations and Customs Enforcement. AOC just slandering them, slandering them left and right. But does it while cloaking herself in the uh, in the trappings of the the ultimate humanitarian, the only one who cares. Yes, she's the only one who cares about children. The Border Patrol members who are changing the diapers and feeding them and bringing them bottles and taking them to their doctor's appointments that are paid for by the taxpayer, by the way. The Border Patrol people doing all that, they're, they're the bad people. AOC, who stands for these kids in her super emotional moment. that She's the real hero, not the people that are on the front lines taking care, taking care of them, making sure that they aren't. Uh, in jeopardy, making sure they aren't sick, making sure they aren't being human trafficked. They're not the people that we should be thankful to. We should be thankful to AOC because, you know, she tweets about it. And she voted against funding for them. Can we just throw that in the mix for a second? The biggest problem they have is they don't have money for all the baby formula and the diapers and the food and the clothing and the soccer balls and the TVs and the other stuff that they need at these facilities. And there's an opportunity to get the money. And AOC goes, no, she wants to make a point. She doesn't vote for it as a member of Congress. The one thing, the power of the purse, what Congress has. She votes against giving them the money. And, and, and then we all realize what this is. It's all about her. It's all about grandstanding. But here, you, you can hear the kind of stuff that she had to say today, 14. When these women tell me that they were put into a cell and that their sink was not working, and we tested the sink ourselves, and the sink was not working, and they were told to drink out of a toilet bowl, I believed them. I believed these women. I don't. I believed the canker sores that I saw in their mouths because they were only allowed to be fed unnutritious food. I believed them when they said they were sleeping on concrete floors for two months. I believed them. And what was worse about this, Mr. Chairman, was the fact that there were American flags hanging all over these facilities, that children were being separated from their parents in front of an American flag, that women were being called these names under an American flag. We cannot allow for this. 
Uh, I, I I don't believe that Border Patrol told women to drink out of a toilet. I, I, I think that there's there are two options here. She, as an AOC, is lying, or there might have been a miscommunication. Folks, I, I've talked to Border Patrol about this. Even if you're a fluent Spanish speaker, particularly in Honduras, the dialect can be so different that it's very hard for fluent Spanish speakers to be able to communicate with some of the people from the outlying villages of Honduras. So when you have a, a contraption that is both a toilet in the bottom and then at the top is is water... Does anyone think that it might have been possible that the, the the women from Honduras that have showed up here may have misunderstood what Border Patrol told them instead of telling them to drink from a toilet? Does anyone really think that they were told to drink from a, that a member of Border Patrol said, yeah, drink from a toilet? They wouldn't say that people that work in the worst prisons wouldn't say that to prison inmates. You're going to tell me that you think Border Patrol would just say that to women that are there with kids? I'm so, I just, I'm, it's not, I can't tell you I wasn't there. It doesn't sound impossible, but it doesn't, doesn't wash for me at all. I don't buy it. And the whole thing about the canker sores and un, unnutritious food, no one even knows what causes canker sores. Not to get into, you know, Buck's Merck manual of health here, but canker sores, there's a whole, there's like a hundred different theories for what they are, and they go away after a few days. So I, I don't know where she came up with that, but. To me, that's just indicative of the fact that she's stretching to find, oh, look at the horrible conduct. Are they sleeping directly on concrete for two months? Or are they sleeping on a mattress on concrete? If it's a mattress on concrete, yeah, that's what a detention facility is going to be like. Is it supposed to be a hotel? What is the acceptable standard? I would like to ask the Democrats this, too. Based on everything we've seen from members of Congress who have been down there who are not pushing a political agenda, there is fresh water provided, food provided. I've seen the medical facilities. We have DOD setting up medical facilities now at the border to help out with this. What what exactly, you know, and it was so horrifying. You should see the people that show up. They know the whole scam. They show up. I've seen them do this. You know, hey, I mean, they're saying it in Spanish, but hey, I'm here. Uh, I want to I want to claim my asylum now. And then they basically order around Border Patrol like, all right, let's you know, I'm, I'm hungry. Get me a sandwich. This happens. I'm not imagining this. I've been there. Because they've, they've all been told the routine by the coyotes. They know what this is. And yeah, they're making this trade-off. You know why? Okay, maybe it's, you know, it's not great to be in a detention facility for, and two months is very rare these days. Usually it's a few days if you have, if you have a kid with you. They're just processing you through. But that's really fast compared to the people that have waited years and years and years in order to come into America legally. How many people would, would take that trade-off? A few days of sleeping on a mattress on the floor and having unnutritious food, but medical care and, you know, U.S. government responsible for your upkeep uh, in order to get into the United States forever and never have to go through the legal immigration process. I think a lot of people, I I know a lot of people make that trade off because they are making that trade off. So if it were concentration camps, as Ocasio-Cortez says, and yeah, I mean, does does Border Patrol like her? I'm sure they don't, because Border Patrol has basically been accused of being SS guards by her, and she's a disgrace and an idiot. But the left loves it. They think this is fantastic. Ah, there's a political cause here. It doesn't matter what the men and women of law enforcement uh, have to go through as a result of it. It doesn't matter if their reputations are ruined, if you have people writing about how they should be doxxed. In major newspapers, they should be doxxed. They should be shamed for doing their jobs. Well, I'm here to make sure that we know that if anyone's going to be shamed, it's the Democrats, it's the left, it's the open border zealots who don't care about the rule of law, and they will lie about the men and women who are doing a very tough job on our border right now because of people who are making a choice, an active, affirmative choice 
to violate our laws and to eradicate our sovereignty. We've got a lot more. I'll be right back. I think Cortez is being very disrespectful to somebody that's been there a long time. A group of people is being very disrespectful to her. And you know what? I don't think that Nancy can let that go on. I'm looking at this Omar from Minnesota. And if one half of the things they're saying about her are true, she shouldn't even be in office. But Cortez should treat Nancy Pelosi with respect. She should not be doing what she's doing. And I'll tell you something about Nancy Pelosi that you know better than I do. She is not a racist, okay? She is not a racist. For them to call her a racist is a disgrace. Trump standing up for Pelosi. Is that, is that, is he standing for her there as well? Is that to stand for someone? Isn't that on the internet when you stand up for them? I don't know. If you're like, if you're really defending them. Standing up for Pelosi, uh, deciding that AOC is out of line, which she clearly is. But I think it is important that Democrats once in a while get a little taste of their own medicine, too. If anyone can be called the racist without any provocation or cause, then guess what? Anybody can be called the racist. Maybe we want to rein that in a little bit as a society. Maybe we don't want people just just taking it upon themselves to slander reputations, to ruin people publicly because they can't beat them in a real argument. So they say, well, it's because racist. Pelosi will be fine, everyone, because as we know, Democrats, even if they are being racist, which I don't think Pelosi is, uh, they are judged by a very different set of standards and they will always be allowed to come back into the community of the of the acceptable, of the fancy of the elites. Uh, but. Trump standing up for Pelosi is an int- is something you wouldn't have expected this week. Uh, but sure enough, here we are. He understands that if there's one thing the Democrats, well, there's a lot of things about Trump that drives them completely insane. But when he's just being rational and he's right and they're acting like a bunch of total lunatics, uh, that's what that, that just aggravates them even more. They get even crazier when that's when that's the case. Got more on the border and also on the census question. Why is it they're fighting the census so hard? We'll get into that. Later on, we'll talk about single payer, why it's a bad idea. The show is stacked, my friends. Stick with me. You're for decriminalizing border crossings. You're one of the people that raised your hands at the debate. Do you agree with AOC that we should get rid of DHS altogether? That is not correct. I am not in favor of decriminalizing um, or, or not having um, consequence for it. We have to keep, let me just be very clear. We have to have a secure border. But I am in favor of saying that we're not going to treat people who are undocumented across the border as criminals. That's correct. That is correct. Um. So she was really clear in that. She seemed like she was figuring out her position in real time on air there, producer Mike. I wasn't she was she was sure about how unsure she was. Yeah, that's for sure. That was that was a pretty amazing moment. She because she knows here's here's what that really was. The Democrats are so set on the talking points. They can't discuss what this issue really means, because if people found out what the Democrats were for, there would be a political revolt against them. So they have to just stick with things like we we believe in a secure border. OK, well, what will you, what are you willing to do to secure the border? They, they got nothing on that. We believe in a secure border, but we don't want to separate families. We don't believe families should be separated. OK, well, then does that mean 
does that mean that everybody who gets brought into these facilities has to be released right away because they can't process them fast enough? The system is overwhelmed. So that just means that they're being led into the country. If you show up with a kid, you get led. Oh, no, no, we believe in not separating families. There has to be more than that. That's not a substantial enough explanation of what they want. It's not even close to being substantial enough. But unfortunately, that's that's really the point. It's they don't want it to be clear what they are pushing for. They don't want it to be understood what they have in mind. Uh, they want it to be about the talking points. They want it to be vague. And that's why Kamala Harris here saying, well, you know, no, that's not correct. I'm actually for, but I'm kind of not for, but maybe I'm a little bit for. They want to de- decriminalize border crossings. Why wouldn't someone come here? They want to decriminalize border crossings. They don't want anyone to be de- de- uh, to be deported. So everybody knows what that means, right? It means that this problem is only going to get worse. It's only going to get worse. More people coming from all over the world. This is this is not typical. Uh, they also, you know, AOC today in her testimony, as I was watching it, said that it's it's horrible that these people get kept in Mexico. I'm sorry, is Mexico some kind of a you know Mad Max hellscape? People people from Honduras can't hang out in Mexico for a few months waiting for their their court date. I mean, they speak the same language. It's why is this so terrible? There are a lot of people. I think a hundred and 30 million live in Mexico. They're not all claiming refugee status. That seems to me to be a, 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 just a, a bizarre thing to say is that it's some it's a terrible punishment. You see, according to the Democrats, if you're from Central America and you come to the U.S.-Mexico border and you have to stay in Mexico for a while. Well, if you're if you're a true asylum seeker, you should just be happy that you're safe from the make-believe threat of violence that they're all claiming to have uh, from Honduras or El Salvador. They're scamming, folks. They're scamming the system. And I understand there's huge incentive for them to do it, but they're lying. They're not fleeing violence. Unless we want to claim that all of Honduras and all of El Salvador qualifies for asylum, in which case, welcome to the 51st and 52nd state. And throw Guatemala in there, too, 53rd. Because that means the whole country gets to be a part of America then. That means there's absolutely nothing, nothing that we can do to stop this. So which is it? Do you qualify for asylum for Mexico? But that, that's why, or if you're from uh, Central America, rather, this is why the, the raids that are planned are so very, very uh, contentious. Um, this is why the raids that are planned are I'm concerned going to be abandoned once again. I'm not sure the president is really willing to really willing to follow through on this one. There'll just be so many people. Folks, there are Republicans. There are Republicans you can't trust on this stuff. They've they just they want to be the nice guy. It's so much easier to say, just let everyone come. Just let everyone be in the country. Come on. We got a lot of space. You ever been you ever been driving around Wyoming? There's space everywhere, right? That's what they'll say. That's what we'll be told. Yeah, go go drive around Arizona. There's a lot of open territory. Yeah, I mean, open territory. But guess what? Migrants migrants aren't aren't uh, they're not pioneers in the 19th century. They're not showing up in the woods and, and hacking a house out of of you know clearing brush. Uh, they're going to show up and say, where's my where's my Obamacare? Where are my food stamps? Where's my Section 8 housing? 
And the Democrats are going to say, you're right. We owe that all to you. Taxpayer, pay more. These people need more stuff. You owe it to them because your foreign policy ruined their countries. This is this is the narrative. This is what is happening right now. I don't know. Trump Trump says that they're going to go through with these ice raids. He says it's going to happen. 13. There's nothing to be secret about. ICE is law enforcement. They're great patriots. They have a tough job. Nothing to be secret about. If the word gets out, it gets out. It starts on Sunday, and they're going to take people out, and they're going to bring them back to their countries. When people come into our country, we take those people out, and we take them out very legally. They all have papers, and it's a process, and I have an obligation to do it. They came in illegally. They go out legally. What the Democrats should be doing now is they should be changing the loopholes. They should be changing asylum. That's if they were serious about fixing the situation. I do not believe. I do not believe they are serious about fixing it. I think that they very much want this to continue. But the approach of the Trump administration of upping the deportations and having a more aggressive approach uh, going forward, that's what has to be done here. Because what you're going to do, and one of the great things about Trump is that he forces the other side to make errors. He forces them out of their their comfortable little 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 hole, and all of a sudden you can see them for what they are. And that's what he does to the left day in and day out, right? They freak out at everything he says. He's wait a second, what he said wasn't even. Not only was it not crazy, that's what I think. The left now is going to tell him that he's that he's Hitler because of this. He forces them to show us. He forces the left to show us who they really are. And when he starts deporting, when the administration is going specifically after individuals who have been adjudicated, been through their process, had it all done, when he goes through all of them and the Democrats still claim that that is, you know, they can't be deported. That's not right. The Democrats still are opposing deportation. How can anyone be watching that? How can anyone pay attention to it and not think, oh, the Democrats are for open borders. They do not believe what they say with the talking points about secure border. They don't believe in the rule of law when it comes to immigration. They are kicking the doors open. They want the country flooded with migrants from the third world because they want people to be Democrat voters. That's what this is all about. I think he was a great labor secretary, not a good labor secretary. He's done a fantastic job. He's a friend of everybody in the administration. And I got a call this morning early from Alex. And I think he did a very good job yesterday. Under a lot of pressure, he did a fantastic job. And he explained it. He made a deal that people were happy with. And then 12 years later, they're not happy with it. You'll have to figure all of that out. But the fact is... He has been a fantastic secretary of labor. And Alex called me this morning and he wanted to see me. And I I actually said, well, we have the press right out here. So perhaps you just want to say it to the press. Uh, But I just want to let you know this was him, not me, because I'm with him. He was a he's a tremendous talent. He's a Hispanic man. He went to Harvard, a great student. And in so many ways, I just hate what he's saying now because we're going to miss him. There you have the 
Announcement of the, well, from Trump, of the resignation of Acosta. I think I had said earlier it was HHS. He's, he's, uh, he was the labor secretary. I might have said that wrong on the radio before, so sorry if I got that one uh, messed up earlier on the week. Always like to be, be factual here on the show, accurate here on the show. Zero Pinocchios on the Buck Saxon Show. That is what we strive for. But I, I got a, I've got a little bit of mixed emotions about this one. I know it's radio, so I'm supposed to say, I have the answer, and I have the perfect answer, and I'm better than all the other radio hosts, and whatever. There are other people who do that. I, I just prefer to talk to you like like friends and equals, because that's what you are. Uh, but, you know, this is what happened. You got uh, The Democrats and the, the media, I know I repeat myself, they're, they see this as an opportunity to take down a member of the administration's cabinet. Right. Uh, they, they see this as, OK, no one really cares who the labor secretary is. But this Epstein story, because the Miami Herald investigated reporting on it, they couldn't suppress it anymore. So how can they get the most narrative mileage out of it? And the way they the way they came up with or the answer to that question for them was that they would. uh Oh, my gosh. I'm seeing this now, by the way. The hidden workforce undocumented in America, CNN. This is just propaganda, folks. This is this is a CNN's running ads for this now. Undocumented is a made up nonsense term. There, There is a proper term for people who are in the country illegally. It is either illegal alien or illegal immigrant. They're in violation of the law. It is not called undocumented. A burglar is not an unwanted shopper. That's not what we call that. You, you don't get to just make up new things because you like something. And I'm sorry, you know, we, we do have to draw some lines here. If they want to change the federal statutes and have it say undocumented, fine. Then I'll start saying undocumented. The law is the law. The law says illegal alien. But I digress. All right. So Acosta, here, here's why I feel a little bit mixed about this. Uh, they went after this. They went after this story. And th- this is all because of Trump. Right? That's why or they're, they're trying to as much as they can, hang this on the Trump administration, even though Trump comes out of this whole situation of all the celebrities who hung out with him. Is there any other celebrity, any other, because remember at the time he wasn't a politician, he was a celebrity. Is there anyone else who called out Epstein and stood up to him and said that, you know, you're you're a gross monster, get out of my face? Uh, Bill Clinton never did that. Woody Allen never did that. Prince... Whatever his name is, the other guy that's which one? One of the Andrew? Is it Andrew or one of the princes? I can't. I don't know which, who who can keep it all straight. One of the princes used to hang out. Yeah, I think it is him. But the, the list of celebrities and super long is long. Yeah, it's a very long list. But of of all of that whole list, producer Mike, correct me if I'm wrong. The only one who called out Epstein for being a weirdo was Trump. So I think that that should at least be a, a prominent part of what we all think of here. I mean, Trump was like, "Get out of here! You're you're banned! You're a jerk!" I mean, he's not a prosecutor. He's not. A, it's not on him to bring charges or whatever. I mean, he doesn't. He doesn't know what's going on. But that can't be said for Acosta. So as much as as much as I know that they really just wanted a scalp from the administration and they got one now, we we, we can't we can't defend everybody all the time. Uh, there have to there has to be accountability. And I know this was a long time ago. But I think Acosta makes the right move here. He, I, I do believe that he probably chose to do this himself. But they were just going to keep hammering this and hammering this and hammering this. And, you know, Labor Secretary, this is not the Secretary of State. This is not the Secretary of Defense. We, we, we don't need it. 
We don't need the distraction. The movement, the Trump movement, the Trump White House does not need this distraction. And, you know, we had Ann on yesterday, and I always have fun. I always have fun. Is she top, top five favorite guests for you, Producer Mike, would you say? Is it fair? Yeah, she's hilarious. She's the best, dude. Yeah. She's so funny when we're not on radio yeah. either. That's and the, she generally enjoys it. You know, yeah, she really does. Best. Dude, she's a happy warrior. She's, <laughs> she's, I'm a, everyone knows. I, I, I can't hide it. I, I think Coulter's the best. Um, but the, the truth is, and I was talking about this yesterday with, with Acosta, is that, uh, you know, it, it needed to be more. He needed to bring the full indictment. If you're going to be a federal prosecutor and you got some guy that is engaged in, in, in systematic, repeated, and egregious predation against, against young girls, against kids, if you're not going to use the full weight of your office against that, what, what are you going to use the full weight of your office against? You know, if, you, if you're not going to go for the... Would, would anyone really have blamed... A, well... I was going to say, would any of blame Acosta? Not normal people, but clearly the fact that he was a Democrat donor, that Epstein was a Democrat donor, you know, if, if he had taken it, you know, if you, if you take a shot at the king, you must not miss. If he had gone after Epstein with a, a big indictment and for some reason, you know, Epstein had a very, you know, very sophisticated, very expensive legal team. If, if that had fallen apart, you know, Acosta would have paid the price professionally. But that's where I always say. You know, whenever one of these bureaucrats is like, yeah, but I, I couldn't, you know, if I'd taken the risk, it would have. Yeah, I mean, tell that to all the all the members of the U.S. military I saw in Iraq and Afghanistan, you know, w- walking around the streets of these dusty villages trying to keep people safe and trying to keep maniacs from sawing people's heads off on video. You know, they, if they can take that risk, Acosta could have taken the risk of bringing heavier charges against a, a big Democrat donor and, and just deal with the consequences. You know, I, I don't think it's too much to expect some degree of professional ethics and, and maybe even a little professional courage from people that have been given a tremendous amount of power to defend the defenseless. And that's really what would have been going on here. These young girls were defenseless. They were relying on somebody like Alex Acosta to come along and get some measure of justice for them. And he failed. So in that in that, I, I think this is the right outcome. And, I, and I, the president, I think, handled it with, with class. I think this was, he said that Alex did a great job and, you know, this was his decision. But it's, it has become a distraction. This has been handled well. I think the good news is that we'll all be able to move past this very soon. But I don't want us to move beyond this. There's a difference. I want more answers. I don't believe that Acosta didn't receive, you know, some pressure uh, to give it to give a lenient deal here. I, I just don't believe that. I don't think that that's possible. I think that there were people that were pushing for Epstein. I know that the Palm Beach district attorney was I mean, you can just tell he cared about the fact that this guy was a big Democrat donor writing big checks to people. You know, we still don't know how he made his money. And you know, how hard can this be to figure out? There's something going on here. I worry that now that the, the Democrat media has tried to they've tried to sully Trump with this. They haven't really succeeded. But I do worry that their next move, their next trick is going to be, well, they're going to move past this and bury it because they don't want a situation in which uh, this could blow back on a Democrat. I mean, we are, Bill Clinton already lied. His office already lied about this. No one seems to care, I guess, because Bill just likes to lie about things. He just, you know, can't remember now. He's just, you know, wants to hang out with all the different ladies and not not have to ask any questions and, you know, all that stuff. They, they still kind of protect him. I think that's what's going on here. So 
we will not let this slide. Can you believe? Are you a citizen of the United States of America? Sir, you can't ask that question. Why? Because the court said you can't. We have three very unfriendly courts. They fight us all the way. The judges don't like us too much, I guess. But think of that, Herman. Think of that question. Are you a citizen? We spend — this is another thing that's so crazy — $20 billion on a census. $20 billion. They spend $20 billion. I said, $20 billion what? $20 billion on a census. They go through houses. They go up. They ring doorbells. They talk to people. How many toilets do they have? How many desks do they have? How many beds? What's their roof made of? The only thing we can't ask is, are you a citizen of the United States? No, is this the craziest thing? This is where Trump's real genius comes in, because, you know, there's there's all these different ways to talk about the census question, this to talk about the census issue. You can make you can make a very eloquent case about how it's necessary for the apportionment of of members of the House of Representatives and maybe for enforcing the Voting Rights Act. And there's all these different things that you can point to and say, okay, well, this is this is yet another reason why we should have uh, the citizenship question. Or you can just point out how completely bonkers, crazy, absurd this whole situation is, where you have a census that can ask basically anything. I mean, they ask, you know, as you say, what what kind of tile do you have in your bathroom? You know, how much fruit juice do you drink in the morning? They can ask any questions they want. All kinds of random government just wants data stuff. The government's just asking you to tell them stuff about you so the government knows more about the American people and hopefully can govern us better. Right. That's what this is all about. And this goes back to the founding and it's been around for a long time. Some of you are probably like, yeah, Buck, census? That's right. Didn't, uh, didn't you know, Jesus, Mary, and Joseph, there was a census going on then too, right? This is stuff that, that's been around for a very long time. Governments want to know how many people are within their borders. It's very important for them. So that it's very important if you're going to have a real government. So, but, but Trump's point here is just think about this. You can ask, Democrats are okay with really any question other than are you a citizen, and this is all about governing and about understanding who's in the country because citizenship doesn't really matter to Democrats. It's just bodies now. Who's here? That's all that they care about. They don't really want to treat any person differently based on citizenship. But you see that that starts to erode the very foundations of our polity. That starts to pull apart the American, the American state, big S state. They got no issues with that, though, because they figure even if they pull it apart, they'll be the ones that have to put it back together and they'll be in charge then. And so there's no no big problem. So, you know, and, and A.G. Barr, who's also Attorney General uh, Bill Barr, he's a very straightforward, no nonsense kind of guy. And he even says, yeah, look, h- how can anybody really argue? I mean, Democrats are arguing against this all, against this all over the place. The question used to be on the census, but they're still arguing against it. It's racist now. I guess it wasn't racist until 1950, but now it's a racist question. Congratulations on today's executive order, which will ensure that we finally have an accurate understanding of how many citizens and non-citizens live in our country. As the Supreme Court recognized, it would be perfectly lawful for the federal government to ask on the census 
whether individuals are citizens of the United States. And it's entirely reasonable to want to know how many citizens and non-citizens there are in the United States. In fact, the federal government has routinely asked questions relating to citizenship ever since the 1820s. So this has been around for a very long time. Oh, but you may be saying, Buck, what executive order? Ah, see that would like to keep you in a little bit of suspense. Sometimes we, sometimes we uh, switch things around a little bit just to see if we can keep you on your toes. That's right. Trump issued an executive order. Here's, here's what's happened. Instead of, extreme, ex, instead of, I mean, I'm an extremely stable genius. It's true. An extremely stable genius. Yep. Uh, in, instead of deciding that he was going to use the, uh, the, or that the census will be the vehicle for finding out about citizenship status and the number of illegal aliens in the country, which we really do want to know. We need to know this. That that's a especially if we're going to start making determinations about about who to put on a pathway to citizenship, who to give amnesty to amnesty to all these things, don't we need to know where we already are in terms of the number? Cuz I think it would affect a lot of people if they found out that oh no, there's not 11 million, there's 20 or 25 million. And we're going to add now, you know, a, a few more million a year because of our current policies at the southern border. I think people should know what they're getting into. I think they should know what's really happening. And what's happening to this country because of the the now, I would say, uh, overt assistance of the Democratic Party in the illegal immigration scam. Uh, But Trump is issuing an executive order that's telling all the different government agencies out there, you know what? You have to do everything you can to collect information to find out who is in this country legally and illegally. I will be issuing an executive order to put this very plan into effect immediately. I'm hereby ordering every department and agency in the federal government to provide the Department of Commerce with all requested records regarding the number of citizens and non-citizens in our country. We will be able to ensure the 2020 Census generates an accurate count of how many citizens, non-citizens, and illegal aliens are in the United States of America. How could anyone really have a problem with that? Why would anyone oppose that? You know that you know Democrats don't like this. They're they're very upset at this. Why don't they want to know how many legals are in the country? You're going to find out that the number is well beyond what we've been told in the past. I mean, that much I'm I'm quite certain about. And I think that the American people will be really really angry about this. I think that there will be a sense that we've been lied to by both parties for a long time, because if nothing else, there is a massive failure to enforce the law here. And a lot of people that deal with onerous regulation and taxation and all this different up, the law is the law. Got to do this. The law is the law. They look around, they say, hold on a second. Why is the law not the law when it comes to immigration? Why are we supposed to accept that there's there's no issue here. There's nothing, uh, nothing to be concerned about, even though there is a massive and systematic and flagrant violation of our laws going on on a, on a regular basis. Oh, but it's not just a legal status, by the way. If people really dug into this and, and they won't and because so so few really want to know, at least no one in the government bureaucracy wants to know it's illegal. It's illegal crossing. It's illegal status. It's um 
document fraud, social security fraud, benefits fraud, tax fraud, all this. All of the different additional violations and crimes that come from or come as an attendant to, in addition to illegal status. That, that's, and this is going on now across the country and has been for decades. And you have people that do have the power to vote, as I've said, who are legally entitled to vote because we've, we, we have a Supreme Court opinion that says if you're born in this country and subject to the jurisdiction thereof, it's not even really an opinion. I think it's a footnote in a Supreme Court case. We, we say if you're born in this country, you're a U.S. You're a U.S. national. It's really not supposed to be that simple. It's not supposed to just be if you are born here, because if you're a foreign diplomat and you're born here, you're not a citizen. If you are born in a foreign country and you are a U.S. citizen uh, you, and, and, and you're, you're the children of diplomats, for example, you're stationed in Beijing, you're not a Chinese citizen, you're a U.S. citizen if you're born abroad. It's not just about the location of where you're born. That, that, has, that has not been, that has not been the case. But now you have entire generations who feel like their families, in fact, their, their story of America starts with an illegal crossing. And you have one political party that says, that's great, that's wonderful, congratulations on being here illegally. And another that says, well, hold on, if nothing else, we've got to stop this from continuing to happen. It's a violation of U.S. sovereignty and it is, it is undermining the processes of immigration and assimilation that we've had in the past. The party that's going to tell all those people, hey, I know your parents came here illegally, but that's great. That's fine. And it's just those mean, racist Republicans that have a problem with with future illegal crossing. I'm talking about the illegal, illegal crossings that have already happened. They're going to vote for the Democrats. They know that this is all about power. All about power. It's been about power all along. That's what's really happening. here. That's what's unfolding in front of us. And that's why there's such a fight over every aspect of immigration. You know, Democrats don't agree with Republicans on anything other than we need bigger, nicer, cleaner facilities for the people that are being detained at the border. They don't even agree they should be detained. But they want bigger, cleaner, nicer facilities, courtesy of the U.S. taxpayer, more health care, uh, you know, more just more resources down there, which, as we know, they also don't want to add any enforcement mechanisms to this. So they're just making it increasingly uh, enticing to come into the country illegally. That's that is a th- that's just what is happening right now at the border. They don't want us to know how many people are here illegally. They don't want to have any enforcement mechanism. And this is just now where we are. It's it's it's, it's stunning, folks. It really is. Um, the Democrats have gone so far left, so hard left on this issue. And the next election is going to on immigration. Then I think the next election really is going to be the be all end all of whether we have a border or not. We will defend the right of the American people to know the full facts about the population, size of citizens and non-citizens in America. The Department of Commerce sensibly decided to include a citizenship question in the 2020 census, as has been done many, many times throughout the history of the United States. Unfortunately, this effort was delayed by meritless litigation. As shocking as it may be, far-left Democrats in our country are determined to conceal the number of illegal aliens in our midst. They probably know the number is far greater, much higher than anyone would have ever believed before. Maybe that's why they fight so hard 
This is part of a broader left-wing effort to erode the rights of the American citizen and is very unfair to our country. There you have the president. Who who's he sound like, folks? I'm just saying. Sounds like somebody you all listen to on the radio. This is this is the point. This is what's going on here. They do not want us to have the numbers. If the number was accurate, if it was 11 million, which is what they always say, what's all the fuss about? That's not the number. There's no way, there's no rational way to add this all up, numerically or otherwise, and think, oh yeah, sure, that's the number. Uh-uh. I don't think so. Speaking of, uh, of the meritless lawsuits, I'd also note that the, the president you know, won a lawsuit earlier this week where the states of Maryland and what was it? Was it Maryland and I can't remember which which other state it was. I think it was Maryland and probably the District of Columbia uh, sued the president under the emoluments clause. And here here's what the, the media doesn't want to tell you or doesn't want to get into. Not only was this shut down, but this was shut down by the by the federal judge overseeing it with with some degree of prejudice, who was like, I don't even think this is a good usage of the courts, as in this is some crap you guys are trying to pull here against the president. There is no there is no precedent for saying that somebody who owns a a public accommodation is being unduly influenced by foreign governments because there are foreign people or members of foreign governments who go through that hotel To, to put this in plain English. You had this you had the state's attorney in, in Maryland bring a lawsuit here. Look, this is all grandstanding legal nonsense. Bring the lawsuit against President Trump and the administration saying that because, you know, the the U.S. ambassador to Kazakhstan or some, or sorry, the Kazakh ambassador to the United States. That's the direction we're talking about, because, because the Kazakh uh, ambassador might go to the Trump hotel and, you know, Borat may have a a glass or two of wine at the Trump Hotel, and that money, after all expenses and everything paid, does go into the, the general fund of of, uh, of revenue that the Trump Hotel, International Hotel, which is a fine establishment where I'm known to have a drink myself from time to time, uh, that that's unduly influencing the president. Now, the same people that are bringing these lawsuits, this, and I mean this, this the same individuals that, that support this lawsuit and that are publicly talking about all this, those same folks, will will look you straight in the eye and say that there is no problem whatsoever. There is nothing wrong with Bill Clinton getting paid half a million dollars for a single speech by a Russian state-backed bank, which is really the same thing. A Russian bank is a state-backed bank, right? By a Russian state bank, while his wife is Secretary of State, Specifically dealing with foreign policy, Bill Clinton got paid half a million dollars by a Russian bank. And did, did you see, was anyone suing the State Department records and trying to cause a big to-do about what was... The Clintons were so corrupt that we were overwhelmed by it. But this is not what aboutism. That's, all, that, that's intellectually lazy. This is, the, this is looking at two issues and saying, do we have one standard? This, this is not a this is some other thing that I'm trying to change the subject to. These are OK. We have two similar circumstances, foreign involved payment to prominent individuals on the left and the right. How does the media treat it? What is the you know, what is the outcome here? And the Clintons were allowed to get away with just mind boggling corruption. 
No one did, had you. Did you even hear of the emoluments clause during the Obama administration when Hillary was was secretary of state? Of course not. Most people learn what the emoluments clause was now because a bunch of anti-Trump lawyers were like, I've got it. I know how we could take them down. The emoluments clause. Yeah, that's right. These guys just violated the Constitution. I'm also going to bring suit against them for treason, piracy, and counterfeitings. That's also in the Constitution. Did he do any of those things? No, but why not just bring the lawsuit? It's all Trump derangement syndrome, folks. A lot of people, a lot of people, unfortunately, in America today have JDs and also have TDS. They're lawyers with Trump derangement syndrome. So that was, you know, you heard all that stuff about the emoluments clause. Those states were basically laughed out of the courtroom by the judge. Like, you guys have got to be kidding me. This is not what the founders had in mind. So, you know, you, you own a hotel and somebody from a foreign country buys a beer there. That doesn't mean that they're calling the shots on U.S. foreign policy. Not everybody is for sale the way the Clintons were. The wall is being built. The wall is being built. We had a couple of very good decisions. We had one bad decision. Uh, It's very tough. Again, Paul Ryan let us down. Paul Ryan was a terrible speaker. Frankly, he was a baby. He didn't know what the hell he was doing. Wow. President Trump not messing around. Do Do we have a Trump slap? We got to come up with like the biggest slap. The most luxurious, the most incredible slap, because uh, that was a Trump slap. That wasn't even a buck slap. He called him the, he called the former Speaker of the House a baby. Uh, I guess it's because Paul Ryan has a, has a book that's coming out where he says things about the things about Trump. Um, oh, they're oh no, this is I'm sorry. In a book, in the book American Carnage, uh, this is because what what happened here. This is the book that's written. Tim Alberta of Politico has written this book. And Ryan condemns Trump in the book, says he could not stand the idea of another two years. The Republican president saw retirement as an escape hatch. Wow. Ryan's quote is saying, I'm telling you, he didn't know anything about government. I wanted to scold him all the time. Okay, so let's let's just play this out for a minute, shall we, team? Here's the basics of it, because I think this is a very instructive Trump versus the establishment moment. Paul Ryan was, and I remember this because he was a Tea Party darling for a little while. Everyone said, oh, he's the guy. And he did not do very well in a debate against Joe Biden back in 2012 or 2011, whatever. Uh, He was not, no, it was 2012. He was not uh, able to do the things that we were all told he was going to do. Now, he he was Speaker of the House. What really is Paul Ryan's legacy? The... You know, he's supposed to be the big budget guy. He's going to turn things around with the budget. When you think of Paul Ryan now, what do you think of? What was accomplished when he was Speaker of the House? You know, you talk about Newt Gingrich. Yeah, there's some stuff when he was Speaker of the House, right? You think of uh, Newt Gingrich, what he had a uh, balanced, trying to balance the budget, actually went into a surplus. I mean, what, what do we have here and, and getting Trump to work with him and triangulate? I mean, sorry, not Trump, Clinton and triangulation and all this stuff. Paul Ryan brought what to the table? What did he manage to accomplish? Now, I've heard, I will say, I've heard he's a very nice guy. I, I, don't, have any, I don't have any problem with Paul Ryan. I actually have not interviewed him. He's one of the few very senior Republican figures, well, former Republican figures uh, on, the, on the scene whom I've never uh, interviewed. But, you know, I, I hear he's a good dude, but I think he's way out of line here. Or at least I think he's out of line in this book when he's talking about Trump doesn't know anything about government. Okay, let's assume that what Ryan says is true. 
and Trump doesn't know anything about government. Why is Trump able to do such a good job? Why is Trump clearly a more effective vessel for conservatism than Ryan or Romney or any of these guys have been? And how, how do they answer? Do, do we really care about who would win a, a think tank knowledge contest? Or do we care about who has the policies that do the most for this country and that affect you the most in your in your life? Often by being policies that leave you alone more so you can enjoy your life and the government's backing off a little bit. But, you know, where where does it fall on that on that spectrum? I mean, that's what you really have to look at here. Oh, we also have. The president explaining today in a press conference, he was Trump was in fuego today, by the way. Mike, you see this? He was. I did. He was in he was in form. It was one of his form. It was one of his days where I was like, whoa, president's not messing around. Uh, Here is. Here is what he said about Paul Ryan, though, during his Enfuego press conference. I'm just going to let the president have a go at it. Paul Ryan was not a talent. He wasn't a leader. When the people in freedom and, and great congressmen wanted to go after the Dems for things that they did very badly, he wouldn't give subpoenas, whereas Nancy Pelosi hands them out like they're cookies. Paul Ryan was a lame duck for a long time as speaker. He was unable to raise money. He lost control of the House. The only success Paul Ryan had was the time that he was with me because we got taxes cut. I got regulation cuts. I did that mostly without him. But for Paul Ryan to be complaining is pretty amazing. I remember a day in Wisconsin, a state that I won, where I stood up and made a speech, and then I introduced him, and they booed him off the stage, 10,000 people. So for him to be going out and opening his mouth is pretty incredible. But maybe he gets paid for that. Who knows? I just can't imagine being Paul Ryan and speaking to a Politico journalist. I'm assuming that's what happened here. Speaking badly about the president. I, I just, what, what purpose? Politico is a left-wing site. The guy's a left-wing journalist writing a book that's just meant to trash Trump. Why feed into that? Why help? You know, it's it's a little bit like you can criticize a family from within the family, but everybody knows the difference between talking to a family member in a way where you want them to shape up or be a little bit better or be a little more considerate versus going outside the family and, and trashing a member of your family to people that are that are outside that circle. These are different things. I'm fine with criticizing Trump. I criticize Trump. I think that there's plenty of room in this administration for improvement there'll always be room in any administration for improvement but that said i i I don't understand this mentality that all these former republican officials or even some current ones not as many these days have of yeah let me help the cause of conservatism by assisting the enemies of conservatism this is the never trump mantra in taking down the administration in some way in undermining the administration in some way you do not help your army get better at fighting by helping the enemy destroy your army, right? This is this logic does not work. And let me also say this. Paul Ryan on the border, we're lucky he's not around now. Ryan on the border, he was terrible on the border. He was like a guest worker, the more the merrier. No one needs to be deported. Let's create amnesty. They'll pay a back, back pay fine thing or whatever. I mean, it was all nonsense. He was basically Marco Rubio in the house with the uh, gang of gang of eight amnesty. So Ryan on the border, he's actually worse than that. Ryan on the border was 
he's really like out of the Cato libertarian think tank world, very close to where the Democrats are now. And just if you want to come in here, you should be able to come in here. So at least it's good that Ryan's not messing things up with that. It's Friday, team. So sometimes I like to just have one of our dear friends, one of our Team Buck insiders, just come and hang out and talk about the news of the week and tell us what's going on in the world. And I can think of few better men, if any, to do exactly that than the one and only Sean Parnell, folks. You know him because he's, in general, American badass. Guy was in Afghanistan, Army Ranger, wrote a fantastic book, Outlaw Platoon. I've read it cover to cover, really enjoyed it. Man of War is his latest, and there's a special sale on it this week, $2. If you want to buy it electronically on Amazon, Man of War is about, well, I don't know, Sean, you tell me what it's about. This one I haven't gotten to yet. Well, it's a, it's a military thriller, you know, so I, I, got a, I got back from Afghanistan. I'm like, what if there was a unit that didn't have any bureaucratic red tape to adhere to? And what if just what if we could go after high value targets and not be encumbered by, you know, higher level chains of command? And so that is sort of the nucleus of this book. And Eric Steele is the operative that the book follows. But hopefully there's hopefully there's a a a reliable, loyal, but somewhat nerdy analyst back at Langley named Buck Sexton, who is there to make sure that all the memos are written, the coffee is hot, you know, right? I mean, you, you work me in there somewhere, I'm hoping. First of all, first of all I've been granted access to be a, a Buck Sexton insider for the show. So in Steel 3, which I'm writing right now, there is going to be that analyst. You're, you, you're going to get a cameo with your own little special character name in book three. Fantastic. That's what I'm talking about. He better have a full swoop of hair, Sean Parnell. That's all I've got to say on that one. All right, so Man of War is coming out. I want to ask you, you know, a few things this week because you know you're a man who doesn't mind showing your patriotism, standing up for patriotic causes. What do you What do you make? Of, and also doesn't mind to do a little bit of mansplaining. What do you make of the uh, women's national teams? And or so, I should say, some players, not all, some players in the women's national team in the wake of their victory. Does it bother you? Do you just ignore it? Do you find it? Well, what do you find? I think, okay, so I think that they embody, you know, all, all of them, just picture in your mind, just for a second, all the male athletes over the last 20 years that are the, that are the most annoying, the ones that win and rub those victories in your faces, they're, brag, they're braggadocious, they're in your face, uh, they're cocky, uh, and to me, some on the women's soccer team uh, embody literally all of the worst qualities of our least favorite male athletes over the last 20 years. And so, you know, you're watching them, you know, how they act during this ticker tape parade. I think it was, what is it, in New York City, right, Buck? They, they did this ticker tape parade for them in New York City with, with de Blasio and stuff, and they're dropping F-bombs and stuff and swearing and putting this stuff on Instagram. And, you know, I've got a daughter, an eight-year-old daughter, and I just think to myself, like, well, of course, I want her to be a champion, and I want her to compete intensely, and I want her to, to, to live the life that she wants with the freedom, all the freedom in the world. But I don't want her to act like that because I think that being humble is an important quality of any champion. You know, it doesn't mean that you can't be confident. It doesn't mean that you can't like sort of be in your face a little bit. Um, but I also think that being humble and self-effacing is is part of being a champion. And so I think that that's a quality right now that the women's soccer team lacks a little bit. I gotta say, I, I I I agree with your astute analysis, and I think that's I think it's very fair-minded of you. Well, I mean, you know, I want look. I mean, I want them to be. I want them to be. I, I wanted them to win, you know. But it, I think I think a perfect microcosm of the point that I'm trying to make 
is that when they were when they when they won the World Cup and they're holding the American flag and then they drop it. Now, it, of course, she probably like she was she's probably worked up. They had just won. She probably wasn't thinking straight. She was excited. I, I give her the grace. I give her the benefit of the doubt to give her grace on that. But they dropped the flag to do some dance in front of the crowd. I mean, thankfully, another U.S. women's soccer player ran and scooped it up and, and up off the ground. But to me, like, while I'm happy that they won, right, I'm happy that the U.S. is is a champion in that game. But it also saddens me to see them treat the flag like that, you know? It, so so happy that they won. I think they could be a little more classy. I think, I think that's for sure. I also think that this uh, Rapino who is saying, you know who's not a Rapino fan is producer Mike, by the way. He does not... <laughs> Yeah, not a fan at he all. He cuts her no None, slack. No way. Not into well, it. She makes it all about her all the time. Yeah. She does. She and, and so so here's what drives me crazy is that you want to you want to be mainstream, but yet you alienate fifty percent of your audience. And so no, they're not gonna go to the Trump White House, but yes, they'll they'll hang out with Chuck Schumer. So right there shows you that what she's doing is politically motivated. It's it's about Democrats versus Republicans somehow now. And so as an athlete, part of your job, especially when you're representing the country on a, on a global stage, you're representing America to the world. Part of your job, I think, as an athlete and part of your mission in charge is to try to be a unifying force for the country. That's what sports are. I mean, it's escapism from politics, I think. And now you've got this sort of divisive political culture bleeding into our sports and, and embodied by someone like Rapone. And it just I just don't well, I just think I just think her actions are, are repugnant. It's not necessarily what she stands for. It's not even her political views that bother me. It's, it's how she acts when she wins. Now, I'll tell you, think about it like this. Think about it like this. If the U.S., if there was a, a national men's sports team, a U.S. men's sports team that was competing globally, and they were acting like the, U, the U.S. women's soccer team, people all over the national media would be saying, would be saying this team is out there globally making America look bad. But the women's team doesn't have that problem. I also think that beating a team fourteen to nothing, whatever they did, I th- I actually think that was gross. And I know some people disagree with me. They say that the the point differential, that that no, <laughs> that, that's I'm sorry. Yeah, they say the point the point differential can be an important factor with regards to like breaking ties or playoff spots or seeding or whatever. But I agree. I think a fourteen goal victory is a little bit is a little bit excessive. Um, it just. And didn't just didn't the U.S. women's soccer team lose to a bunch of fourteen-year-olds? That is correct. The under fifteen U.S. national team for under under fifteen. There were fourteen-year-olds and thirteen-year-olds. Uh, but Sean, uh, let me let me switch to to politics here for a second. I'm just wondering who's if you had to. This is going to be a, this. You're not going to like this question. If you had to pick a Democrat to be your next commander in chief, you have no choice. Donald Trump is. On another planet, aliens have, have taken our president, and, and we have to have a Democrat. Who do you pick? Uh, I, this, is, this is an easy one. In fact, you, you had me nervous there for a second when you were asking this question, but then it just dawned on me that, that the answer to that question would be Joe Biden. I think really? That, I think that, well, yeah, I, don't, I think that he's, in his heart of hearts, a blue dog Democrat that really can't find his place. You know, I mean, he's on this. He's on the stage right now. I don't know. Some of Team Buck is there. They're man, man of war. They're about to click buy on that man of war book, and now they're what? now their fingers <laughs> hovering over the. I had to pick somebody. You said I had to pick. I'm not like a Biden fan. I'm just saying, like, <laughs> I feel like if I went into a bar 
and I had a beer with Biden. You're saying he's the least Biden. awful. He's the least awful option. He's by far the least awful. And I think in his heart of hearts, he's a blue dog Democrat. He doesn't know where the heck he stands among these far left. Uh, by the way, these crazy Democratic candidates that are all running, all 50 of them. He has no idea where he stands. He has no idea. You know, but I think in his political heart of hearts, he's he's a blue dog. You know, he's a conservative. I think, I mean, conservative as far as Democrats are concerned nowadays. All right. Oh, we'll take it, Sean. By the way, what are the chances... That, uh, you know, you don't decide to write Man of War 7 and, and run for office instead. I mean, you know, Parnell 2028, is this going to happen? There's no chance. There's no chance. I would, I, you know, the great Andrew Breitbart said, you know, politics is downstream from culture. You know, part of writing these books, Buck, is is to affect culture, right? Part, part of writing these books is to give, you know, American kids a pro-American hero, a pro-American protagonist, you know? Loves America, and his value system is, is such that he he believes America is worth dying for. He believes in freedom. He's selfless. He believes in the sense of duty. And I feel like we have to give our kids fictional characters to aspire to in order to affect cultural change, mainstream cultural change. And it's extraordinarily challenging with some of the stuff that Hollywood is putting out right now. But we have to take a stab at it. We have to give our kids something to aspire aspire to that is good that is pro-american that is freedom loving and and that's the whole i mean that's the reason why part of the reason why i'm writing these books i'm, I'm with so. you on the cultural change man that's why i just remember buck sexton analyst counterterrorism work working against al-qaeda and getting all the ladies <laughs> just muck, right. muck blexton muck blexton there you go we gotta go back and forth with a name fantastic right, everybody listen sean parnell you should you should really pick up man of war because on this great sale but you should also pick up outlaw Plat- uh, platoon if you have not already it is on amazon go check it out thank you so much team and uh thank you so much sean my friend have a great weekend we'll see you soon okay thanks buck talk to you later all right we got a big hour three on the way Going to talk to somebody about health care. Whoa. I call them the nine lies of Obamacare. Think about this. Remember this one? If you like your doctor, you can keep your doctor. Y'all remember that one? How about the one? If you like your plan, you can keep your plan. We were told by the president of the United States premiums were going to go down. He then got more specifics. Premiums will go down on average $1,500. He said deductibles would decline. Five false statements right there. Oh, remember this one? They told us the website was going to work. They told us the website was secure. Your information would be secure there. They told us that these co-ops were wonderful, end-all, be-all creations. 23 were created. Guess how many are still in existence? Four. The other 19 went bankrupt. Oh, and the other ninth lie, they told us, first they told us it's not a tax. Then they went to court and said it is a tax. Now they're saying, no, it's not really a tax at all because you can't tax it now because the individual mandate is gone and there's no penalty. Nine different lies we were told about Obamacare, and, and the hearing is titled How Trump's Efforts to un- How Can You Undermine Something That's Already Failed? And yet Obamacare still lives, my friends. And it's going to be healthcare in general, but Obamacare more specifically, a central point of debate in the uh, re-election fight for Trump, as well as just Democrats and Republicans battling it out. We got an expert on to tell us what the heck is going on, not just with Obamacare, but with single payer, which is the way they're now saying that it should be fixed. Uh, Chris Jacobs is with us now. He's the founder and CEO of Juniper Research Group and author of the book, The Case Against Single Payer. Chris, great to have you on. Thanks so much. Great to be with you. 
All right, so let's – and also you write for the Federalist, right? I, I love the Federalist. So I, love, I do. I yes, love giving them yes, a plug. Sir. Yeah, give, give Ben and Sean and the boys my best. Uh, so let's, let's get to this. The Democrats seem to think that, okay, Obamacare's got problems. They've got this far-left Bernie Sanders wing within their own party that seems to be pushing very openly now for single-payer as the fix to Obamacare or, or the next step beyond Obamacare. People tell me it's popular, Chris. But I have a feeling you're going to tell me it's not such a great idea. No, it's not such a great idea, Buck. And I think you're right. Government failed, so the solution is obviously more government, right? Um, that's, that's the logic you're, you're, you're getting from the left. And Congressman Jordan's uh, lead-in was actually perfect on this. Because why is, is single-payer, in theory, supported by the public? Because it's premised on the same false premises that were used to sell Obamacare. Bernie Sanders says this is Medicare for all. In reality, his single-payer bill abolishes Medicare. It abolishes the current Medicare program. It's Medicare for none. Bernie Sanders goes around saying everybody will save money. Yes, you'll pay a little bit more in taxes, but you'll save in premiums and cost-sharing, et cetera. There was a study three years ago that said under Bernie Sanders' plan, 71% of people will pay more in taxes, even after after uh, eliminating cost sharing, people will pay more. Now, so how much more? I mean, this is and we're speaking in such abstract, which I know that Democrats and Sanders love because then it's very hard to pin them down on where they're wrong. But my understanding is that if we want a a Nordic style health care system, that we would have not just tax increases on the wealthy as a necessity, but we would have to if we were going to stay somewhere within the realm of our current budgetary realities, we'd have to have the middle class pay almost double in taxes. I mean, do we have some sense of if we did this single payer thing, if they abolish the Medicare system and, and really with it, if they abolish the private medical system as it stands in this country of of uh, employer provided health insurance, how much more would people be paying as a percentage or do we, do we just have no idea? I think you're, you're right, Buck, in terms of a good rule of thumb. We've seen multiple studies come out that, that have said that you would have to more than double current corporate and individual income tax rates. So whatever your listeners are paying to the IRS April 15th, double it. Okay, That's, that's some sense of what you would be paying in greater taxes under single payer. The other irony of this, as you point out, Bernie Sanders is the ranking member of the Senate Budget Committee. If he wanted to get the Congressional Budget Office to score his bill to say how much it would cost, they would prioritize his request. Funny that he hasn't requested an estimate of how much his bill would cost. Now, let's just, the, the cost piece, that's the first thing. And every time Sanders and the Sandernistas and AOC and you know whoever else, I think a lot of the Democrat nominees right now uh, or you know contenders have said that they're in favor of some form of, of single payer. This has become a pretty... Uh, pretty much the Democratic Party's position, at least going into the 2020 election. Uh, so but put aside the cost for a moment, because that's what always comes up. What happens to the health care system, Chris? What can you tell me if we go to single payer? Um, what does that do to access to doctors and access to hospitals and people wanting to go into those positions? And you know what, what other than the cost piece do we need to be aware of? Right. The quality of health care would, would deteriorate significantly. You've seen this week, um, 
I had a piece at the Federalist actually yesterday that your your listeners can 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 pull up. The idea, the premise behind single payer is that doctors will perform more work for less money. I don't know about you. I I think that's a hard sell to most physicians, and so they're going to end up performing more work because everybody's going to want to go to the doctor when it's free, right? It's free, and you don't have to pay anything. They're going to do perform more work. They're going to have less money. And then they're going to have more, more government red tape to deal with. So those doctors that are in their late 50s or 60s, they'll say, the heck with this. I'm, I'm going off fishing. I'm, I'm, I'm retiring, turn in the towel, throw in the towel. Young, young people may just not go into medicine as a profession. So you're going to see very quickly a deterioration of the quality of care provided. We're speaking to Chris Jacobs, author of the new book, The Case Against Single Payer. Okay, Chris. Now, the, the other part of this, you know, if I were debating some of the, the lefty commie types in the media world, they would say, oh, yeah, well, look at the United Kingdom. People aren't all dying in the street there and they get their health care. Look at Canada. What do you say to that? Actually, I would say look at, at Canada and look at the United Kingdom. The quality of care in the United Kingdom is, is very poor. You've had year after year lower caps on budget payments to, to hospitals. Even the Congressional Budget Office, when they released a report on single-payer earlier this year, didn't include a lot of specifics. But the one thing they've said is that the, the Britain has underfunded it, its health system. And as a result, operations have gotten canceled. Uh, hospitals are overcrowded. Every year, it seems, there's a winter crisis because Britain doesn't have extra hospital beds to deal with the flu. Now, we all know that the flu comes every wintertime. But the idea that Britain would have to cancel 50,000 operations, which they canceled in, in, in January 2018, they had to cancel 50,000 operations, postpone them for weeks or months because they didn't have beds to put uh, people suffering from the flu. We knew that would happen every year. And this is what happens when you have chronic un- underfunding of health systems. Canada is the same way. Canada has over 1 million people waiting on lists an average of five months to start their treatment. And that's in a, in a, popula- in a country with a population of 30 million. So you're talking about 3% of the population of Canada is on a waiting list for treatment. That's not healthcare. How do the Democrats get us to the point where we might actually jump into single payer? Do you, would it have to be, do you foresee that there would have to be a, an economic uh, recession and then maybe people would get more scared? I mean, what what's the mechanism? Or do you think if we had a Democrat administration that came in right now and a Democrat-controlled Congress, that would, would they even be willing to go for it if they had the legislative and executive ability to do it? I think they would. I think the the other thing is it's just a matter of time, Buck. It's not a question from most folks on the left do not believe in a private marketplace they do not believe in choice or competition and say that's that's a policy objective that we should pursue when folks like joe biden say i don't want to go to single payer what they they're worried about is essentially we can't throw all of these people off their health coverage in one fell swoop that's not to say they don't want to throw people off of coverage over time so it's really a tactical debate on the democratic side in terms of how many people can we afford to throw off their coverage in one fell swoop, or should we do it over time? So what you're going to see is 
even if they don't put in a single-payer system right away, they would put in a government-run plan, and then they would sabotage the private marketplace to push everybody toward that single-payer system over time. What can the Republicans do, or, or anybody who believes that there should still be something of a free market in healthcare? although obviously with 60% of healthcare spending already coming from the government in one form or another, it's increasingly feeling like we don't have much of a free market in health care, but we're, we're holding on to what we've got, Chris. What can the Republican Party do? What can conservatives do uh, to, to offer an alternative that people will actually want? Sure, and, and I think that's very important as, as well. The last chapter of my book, I outline important principles behind an alternative. I think the first thing we need to do is reform the insurance markets. We need to come up with better solutions for folks with pre-existing conditions because the status quo is pricing people out of the millions of people out of the marketplace. I think we need to come up with a, a more sustainable safety net. You've seen the tens of millions of people who are signing up for Medicaid expansion. And in many cases, they're dropping their private coverage to go on the government dime. We have to reform the safety net and make it sustainable for the long term. And then the third thing is just reforming incentives. Um, everybody's great at spending somebody else's money. And frankly, that's the problem in healthcare. Everybody spends everybody else's money. It's why our healthcare costs are out of control. I think Congress should do some things to reform those incentives along with the state's to reform our healthcare system and get it to something that's more sustainable and more patient friendly, as opposed to giving more and more power to government bureaucrats in the federal government. All right. Chris Jacobs, author of The Case Against Single Payer. Really appreciate your time, sir. Let us know how this all goes. Thanks very much for having me. Team, we'll be right back. Do you think that a bagel shop is really the place to take out all of this anger with all of these strangers, public, innocent people Why around? Not? Why not? What do you mean take it out? And You're acting like I committed mass shooting or something. That guy twice my size that women love, the bullies, attacked me. You know what? I, I don't really, no offense, I don't really like you that much, so this interview's over. I should just say that sometime, producer Mike. Be like, hey, I don't really like you that much, so this, this interview's <laughs> over. Yeah, that'll go over well. This interview's yeah. done, though. So. Uh, <laughs> exp- explain this to me, sir. So this is an, an update to our very uh, important bagel rage story which for those of you who like your bagel when you get up there and there's no bagels left the rage can happen producer mark knows what i'm talking about but mike what's yeah yeah you could that's right oh i'd start screaming right especially after a long line on long island i remember when i used to eat gluten because i didn't know that i had celiac disease when i was a kid we it was after church my grandparents used to take us to this this place that made warm like fresh out of the oven bagels which i feel like it's hard to find that in a lot of places we go to this warm and and we let some person because we're feeling very you know we we're feeling very Christian. We just come out of church as a family, and someone was kind of like in line, and we're kind of like, oh, you go ahead. The guy goes up there. He's like, all right, I'll take uh, two dozen of the uh, cinnamon raisin, two dozen of the onion, two dozen. Clean them out, dude. No bagels. Zero bagels left. By the t- but we're next in line. Zero bagels left. That's what that's what being a good Christian will get you on. Yeah. Bagel day sometimes. This is rude of him. Yeah, it's just rude. But Mike, what's what's the story? So this guy's now doing interviews. Bagel, bagel rage man. Yeah. Uh, so what what did he do? What happened? So his name's Chris Morgan. Um, he got tracked down by uh, Inside Edition, and uh, they found him in a parking lot because he lives. <laughs> he literally lives in a van down by the river. He has a uh, minivan, and he stays in the of a deli in Bayshore. 
So the Inside Edition found him there, interviewed him, and apparently has a uh, history of doing these online videos and losing his temper. Um, but, you know, he was at it again today. So, but is, is this now performance theater for this guy then? I, it's You it, know, it's because it seemed a little too, it seemed a little bit, you know, at the time, like, could anyone really be this wacko? But I don't know. Yeah, he's crazy for sure. Uh, how, how much thought he's put into this to promote himself, I don't know. But uh, he's definitely uh, making a name for himself now. He's gone viral and he's uh, getting interviewed by Inside Edition. So really, if I, if I want to get on more stations, I just need to walk in somewhere just wearing like tidy whities and just start screaming something crazy. Be like, I'm Vince Lothor, Keymaster of Gozer. Yeah. And just challenge anyone in there to a, to a I wrestling match. I do encourage match. people to watch the video because it's really funny. He, the lady interviewing him, he literally comes up to her waist. Uh, the visual is quite funny. Yeah, I mean, there's there's that. All right. What else I is- live in a van down by the river. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> Dude, it, SNL, <laughs> SNL used to be used to be pretty great. Yeah. I mean, I remember on when I was like when I was younger and it was a Saturday night and if I wasn't out and about getting into trouble, SNL would come on like in the in the Chris Farley, Mike Myers, Dana Carvey era. SNL was fantastic. Yeah. Cuz it was actually a comedy show. That was amazing. You know, Chris Farley was this. And you know, there there's a, there's a, a story today on on Drudge. I'm trying to find where it is. It's saying Oh yeah, that that comedy movies, did you see this comedy movies are disappearing. That there's no more because I've been saying on the show for a while that comedy is dead. And here's this story. There are those who worry about uh, all blah, blah, blah. In December, I saw he's talking about all these different movies. You see, he says they're they're there's uh, terrible comedy is accounted for. Appalling an appalling eight percent of box office revenue. There are no funny movies being made anymore, <laughs> dude. That's the that's yeah. the statistic I was trying to find there. Sorry about the stumble. I'm like, there was a play. I was trying to read as I was. Eight percent of box. That means they're not making comedies. You know why? Because uh, people don't want to be funny anymore. They want to be woke. Yeah, I have, I have another good reason movies. why. Because uh, people who write comedy movies in Hollywood are liberals, and liberals have no sense of humor. So when you have no sense of humor, you really can't write something that's funny. I tell people this all the time, and they're like, "Come on, that's just because you like you, you know you share their idea." The funniest people I know, all of them are some form of right of center. Absolutely. That, I'm not, they're not necessarily... Some of the funniest people I know aren't Trump people at all, but they're still kind of conservative, contrarian types. You know, Some of them are it's not, it's not a Trump thing, although I know some very funny people like Trump. Right. But it, it's just... It, you've become part of the counterculture now. Right. You, you've, you know, if, you're, if you're somebody who's in the left, on the left, you, you have such... You have a, a, a straitjacket on all the time about what you're allowed to say, what you're allowed to make fun of. So, and they know that, that political correctness is completely absurd and they're not afraid to cross the line. Yeah, that's right. Exactly. We're we're used to saying things that are going to get us in trouble. That's why, you know, the, the really funny show would be if we could just establish the like if we could establish a show called Safe Space, but it was a play on words where it's like, okay, guys, this is the conservative fa- safe space. I can make any jokes that I want, and I can't get in trouble for it because it's the safe space. I like it. This would be an amazing show, by the way. Yes, it would be. Because the funniest stuff that I say, unfortunately, is all stuff that I say off air that I could never repeat to anybody or else I'd get in trouble. So that's the funniest stuff. If we could actually just create a show where you could do that and call it Safe Space, which would be great. I think we're, I think we're on to something, Bruce or Mike. Even Mark likes it. That's called Curb Your Enthusiasm. <laughs> yeah. There you go. Yeah. Yeah. All right. I'll allow it. I'll allow it. But we could do an updated version. Larry David, he's getting, he's getting up there. We'll be right back. 
The show ain't over yet, folks. Keeping it real. It's time for Roll Call. That's right, baby. Roll call time is the fun time. You know how we roll. Uh, so all good things, all the fun stuff going on in the world right now. What is there? What is there to say on this Friday? Middle of summer, folks. That's right. Middle of the summer. Mark, what do you got? Anything exciting going on? Producer Mike, which one of the ladies in Mike's Wheel of Fortune came up the lucky winner this weekend? I don't know yet. It's still it's, it's still early on Friday. It's <laughs> Not, to be determined. Notice, Mark, we call this opsec or infosec, depending operational security. Uh, he doesn't he doesn't throw the names out on the radio. He's too he's too sly for that. You know? He doesn't want to give the other girls information. Can't leave a trail. This day of Instagram and Facebook, you can't you can't yeah. start even even first names too much. Yeah. You know, yeah. My name might not, might not even be Mike. Don't think that hasn't <laughs> occurred to me before, there, Chief. You're 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 a very he's a smooth. <laughs> International man of mystery, that producer, Mike. All right, so I, I promised you all, I promised you all roll call. I will deliver the roll call. Uh, let's see what we have here to kick us off to get this party crackalackin'. As I said, facebook.com slash Buck Sexton. Mike, do we have a, a an email address at the website that we can set up, by the way? can I'm going to keep just saying it on live radio until yeah. we actually do that as a Yeah, we don't have it set up yet, but um, we're sort of in between that stuff right now. But it'll be, ha- it'll be happening soon. Men at work. Yeah. Producer Buck. And host Mike, men at work. Exactly. We should get a sign and put it on the door. It's what we do. <laughs> All right. Um, Nikolai. Nikolai. I like it. Uh, I must break you. Shirtless Jim, Freudian slip much? We could actually hear your brain realize what you said. Thank you for a great laugh. You're the best in the business, sir. Well, Nikolai, you have the best taste in the business. So thank you so much. I do, I do really appreciate it. It sends me off in the weekend with a smile on my face so uh that's so there you go that that's all you need that's all you need to know all you need to do michael buck i'm now working toward a graduate degree in engineering but i was once an iv heroin addict and even spent time locked up my story is great anyway my experiences have caused me to have what some would say are extreme views on the criminal justice system If it were up to me, the inmate population would be reduced by a large number and many laws would change. However, even I can see that what Biden and Buttigieg are saying is crazy. They make me seem like a moderate on the subject now more than ever. Shields high. Well, Michael, thank you, first of all, for sharing uh, your your personal and inspiring story. And good for you for, you know, people love redemption uh, for a, a whole bunch of reasons, not even just in the whole Christian everlasting life way but that's obviously very important uh but in the general comeback story sense too i mean we all we all know that we are flawed we fail we stumble and so anyone who dusts themselves off and gets back up there and gets back into the fight with their shields high is somebody that is that should be should be praised for that for that act uh, and should be encouraged and others should be encouraged to do the same um as for your point on Criminal justice reform and letting out, well, you said half of the people in prison. I used to do, and there was a much greater interest in this, I must say, in the Tea Party years, for whatever reason. People seem to have 
cease to care, or at least there's not as much media. Maybe people care as much, but there's not as much media attention as there used to be on this uh, on the issue of overcriminalization. I mean, I think it's a very fair question to ask. Should people who have only committed a crime that is an administrative offense against the government, right? So the only the only victim, in, in, in a sense, is the government. And if they're a first-time offender, uh, should they face prison time? Now, I'm speaking in very broad terms. I know that we'd have to drill down into some of this, but there have been uh, people who have done studies of our criminal justice system. What they find is that there are so many criminal statutes on the books right now. There are, in fact, so many criminal statutes that no one even knows how many there are because it depends on interpretation. It depends on how some of the different administrative agencies will use regular will interpret regulatory law that can have criminal penalty. So the answer to how many criminal laws are there in America is nobody knows. And that's not an acceptable answer. There are uh, too many people, too many people out there who I think are in prison for things uh, that honestly they shouldn't be in prison for at all. That, that, and, and for me, one person who's in prison who shouldn't be in prison is too many. Uh, the, the more complicated. So these are things like people that are that wander onto an Indian reservation and try to get uh, looking for arrowheads not realizing where they are, and now all of a sudden they're facing two years in federal prison. That was a well-known case. Uh, or they were snowmobiling, I think, and they went on native land by accident. I mean, th- things, like, things like that, or you know, a Native American reservation, pardon me. Uh, things like that can sometimes and send people to prison. So that's not good. Uh, or I believe in one case somebody was packing... They were in the Gulf of Mexico, a, a U.S. fisherman, and they, they packed fish in plastic instead of paper or something like that. I mean, it, it's so absurd that you honestly, you wouldn't believe it if you read it. And now they didn't end up going to prison, but they faced criminal uh, penalties with prison time that could have been attached to it. So that's too much. The, the question gets much more complicated on drugs because there are, there are two big parts of the drug debate that I think that there's not nearly enough of a focus on, okay? There's a, there's a big, two big parts of it. One, I mean, in terms of incarceration for people who are involved in the illegal drug trade, one is that usually if you have a very long drug sentence uh, attached to somebody, they're not a first, it's usually not, although not, not always, but usually not a first-time offender. And also sometimes the possession penalty is just the easiest and most readily provable felony. So that's what they give them, even though they may have been part of a distribution network of a drug gang that, let's say, is responsible for a whole lot of a whole lot of homicides, murders, bad things. So sometimes, you know, so they could have gotten them with a racketeering charge. Maybe they could have even got them with an attempted murder charge. But if they've got enough weight on you, as they say, if they find you with enough drugs, they just charge the drugs because they know that they'll be able to prove that and you're going to take a plea deal. So that's one part of it is that so nonviolent drug offenders, just because the offense that they went away for is what's listed, it doesn't mean that that's actually the only thing the person did. Uh, and then the other part of this is. Folks, we've got an opioid epidemic that's killing 70,000 Americans a year when you're selling illegal drugs to somebody, especially drugs that are as powerful as opioids. And I do think that there's a difference, right? There's just like there's a difference between selling somebody a beer illegally and selling them, you know, an eight ball of Coke. Uh, 
Isn't that what they call it, an eight ball? I don't know. I'm not really good on these I things. I think so. Yeah, that's what... I was trying to do a little street lingo there. You know, some uh, some yayo, some some snow. Now you're some, over my head. Some China white. Is that is that what it's called? I think called? that's from Breaking Bad. Isn't that what they call yeah. it, Breaking Bad? Or is it is that heroin, though? No, that's heroin, right? I don't yes, know. Yes, but I think China white was one of the terms. Yeah, that's a thing. That's yeah. a thank you. I remember from the... Some molly. That's that's ecstasy. That's different. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, I know. I See, I, I'm up on some of the street lingo. But anyway... Back to the seriousness of this conversation. Um, we have a very real epidemic in this country, and people who are contributing to that epidemic and and are involved in the sale of illegal drugs that can kill people. I, I don't know. I don't know how much we consider that to be. It's certainly not a victimless crime. They've started to charge people, including those who weren't even in, involved really in commercial large-scale commercial sale of drugs, if someone overdoses and you sold them the drugs they overdosed on, they've charged people with uh, with murder for that. They've even, I think, brought charges against certain doctors for over-prescribing drugs. So that's where it gets more complicated, too. I think if you're selling marijuana illegally, especially considering some states now have legal... Ma- I mean, yeah, it is not possible to die from marijuana, believe it or not. It is a fat-soluble... THC is a fat-soluble drug, and no one has ever... It's not possible to smoke enough of it to die from it. And this is not just something that a bunch of hippies in Vermont told me. This is science. Uh, that is not true of some of these other drugs. So I, I think that you can work into this a, a schedule that deals with they have, you know, schedule one, schedule two. That They should redo the drug schedule and look at it in terms of seriousness of the substance that's being sold and the, and the amount of it. Um, sorry, I, I, I got a little deep into the criminal justice debate there for a second, but I, I think it's very important, and it's one that Republicans can make some headway on going into the into the uh, re-election. I'm, ho- I'm hoping they can, because Trump's done good stuff on this. We'll uh, have a moment to uh, catch our breath. we got more amazing roll call, your fantastic thoughts when we come back. You know, team, I miss some of the some of the uh, original Saturday squad these days. I was thinking about it, because I, I used to do the, the show for The Blaze on Saturday, and that was amazing, because I it was the whole week I was just all pent up with wanting to do radio. And then Saturday was like three hours of just unleashed buck on the radio. And we talked about all, all kinds of stuff, history and philosophy. And a lot of it was very in-depth and less news cycle based. Um, but we, we had all these great callers. And I remember we used to have this lady named Irma who I think told me she was, I think she said she was 80, either 85 or 88. I can't remember. And Irma used to call in and she uh, you know, her, her family had fled the Holocaust in World War II, and she would get on these rants about fascism, and it was incredible. And I'm just, I'm just wondering. I hope Irma's okay, and she's, if she's out there listening, just want to send you a big team buck hug. And there, there are many others out there as well. You know, if, if you're still on the team and I haven't heard from you in a while, I'd like to, I'd like to hear what's going on. You don't have to call in if you don't want to, because we don't do calls as much. But send me and send me an email, send me uh, a, a Facebook message, and uh, let me know how things are going. So I was just thinking. I was thinking about Irma. Some of you who are original Saturday Squad will remember she was a, a a fantastic, fantastic lady with a lot of wisdom. Um, also, Lori from New Jersey. I don't know. Lori from New Jersey like knew more about the stock market than anybody on CNBC. She used to call in. And what happened to Lori from New Jersey? Missing some of the old squad. You know these people who are your real, uh, you know, OG as they're said, original original squad OSS listeners. They, they're, they're your friends, and so you, you wonder how they're doing. So I'm wondering how some of my original Saturday friends are doing out there. 
Stoats, unofficial Team Buck Wrangler of all things Stoats. Um, all right, we got Tim up here. I've been following you since the Real News days, and I'm a regular podcast listener. I hate to be that guy, but the audio levels on the podcast are out of control. The levels on your Buck's remote feed are almost always extremely low, with everything from the studio at a good level. This may not be noticed on traditional broadcast stations because they have processing to compensate, but it's very bad on the podcast. You need some processing either in Buck's feed or the whole feed to go to the podcast recorder. I'm a broadcast engineer willing to offer advice. Shields high. Tim, well, thank you, Tim. What am I? Is this is this a thing? I disagree. You disagree? Ooh. Yes. Producer Mark disagrees with this. I mean, I, he's our he's our engineer. I don't know. This is like will producer Mark's praying mantis style defeat Tim's wushu? I don't know. I don't like people questioning my craft. I, I, I hey, dude, I'm, I I defer to you on this. If you're telling me that the audio on the podcast is good, the audio on the podcast is good. I'm just saying. Um, let's see here. But Tim, thank you nonetheless, man. And look, I will, I will listen to the podcast. It's kind of funny. I'm going to listen to myself. I will listen to the podcast myself. Um, and, uh, yeah, we will get, we will get going on that for sure. Um, Dwayne, I'm among many who believe that Rapino, Omar, and all those who believe America is such a bad place should pack up and find somewhere that's a little bit more to their liking. But I guarantee one thing, America will forget them long before they forget America. Well, Dwayne, I don't think they're going anywhere, but I understand I, I understand where your head's at. So thank you very much, very much for that. Um, let's see. Irene, I so enjoy your program. We don't get you here till 7 p.m. to 10 p.m., you still seem to always be on top of the news, though. Thank you for all your service. Well, Irene, thank you so much for listening. In some of our wonderful affiliate markets, because they have some local programming, or there's, we can be a little bit delayed, but we are doing this show. I mean, when you were hearing me at 6 o'clock every night, I'm at uh, 6 o'clock Eastern, rather, those of you that hear me at 6 Eastern, or you can listen on the, on the stream on iHeartRadio on the app at 6 Eastern. When you hear me on that, that is live. Uh, but in some markets, it's delayed. And then sometimes there's also some catch up or, or we'll do an interview um, because for me, getting some people on the show is the most important thing. So we'll do an interview earlier in the day and uh, we will then air it later on. All right. We got another one here. We got we got a live one. Kristen writes, well, that is true that many women care about height. I've seen very short men with very attractive women. It's all about confidence and women are attracted to that. Well, Kristen, darn it, I agree, because I always date up. I don't mean up as in, like, I have to scurry up the tree because I'm shorter than the lady. I mean date up as in, I feel like I date, you know, beyond my my station in life, at least physically. And it's because one thing I do not lack is uh, a tremendous a tremendous confidence infused with a perfection of humility, I might add, because that's a thing that you can do. Uh, but no, you're right about confidence, though, in all seriousness. It is a very important thing. It's very appealing, and it's very much uh, what I think a lot of... When people discuss the masculine virtues, which I know the, the feminists and the left now pretend aren't really a thing, masculine virtues are a thing. Things like honor, integrity, courage. Uh, when, when people talk about an alpha, I don't think that being an alpha means that you have washboard abs and you know have made sure that you have no body hair on your chest so all your muscles can show and you go around saying you know who wants to fight do you even lift bro 
You know, that's that's not what I think the masculine virtues are, at least not the ones we should pursue in society. But uh, honor, decency, integrity, uh, life competence. And with life competence comes a great degree of confidence in general. Right, Mike, you, if you, you, you want to be a guy who's good at life. Yeah, man. Yeah. You got to win at life. You got to win at life. That doesn't just that's not that's not the same thing as saying someone has to be financially successful or whatever. or you know, make a lot of money or anything. No, no, no. Life competence is good at dealing with the challenges of life and treating people well and doing so and, and conducting oneself honorably. That's life competence. So, yeah, basically, if you're on an Amtrak train, all the lights go out and some, you know, terrorists uh, storm that, you know, you want Buck Sex in there. That's all I got to tell you. And he's going to be in Sean Parnell's novel. Woo! All right, everybody, have a fantastic weekend. Wish producer Mike luck on all of his shenanigans. And, uh, well, Mark's getting married, so he's just going to have a nice pot roast made for him this weekend. He's going to be fine. But that's going to be it for us here in the hut. We'll see you on Monday.